Hey, Dan. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm swell. I'm an uncle now. That's right. Uncle Bill. That's me, Uncle Bill. Which is uh, really odd. You know, it's funny. My father died five years ago, and I was, saw my cousin at my mother or my sister's baby shower, and she said, you know what the odd thing about this whole thing? She goes, there's going to be Uncle Bill again. And I was like, that's um, really strange. Again. Yeah. Because your and dad you know was what? Uncle Bill. Yeah, exactly. And mm. the, the really interesting thing was, you know, my father died. It was just me, my mom, my sister, and my dad, right? Four of us, right? Yeah. And then my father died. There's three of us. And right. little Bert is last name Wadman. He's taking my sister's last name, which means that... Yeah, what's that, up with that? I don't know. Decision that they made when they decided to have a baby. I don't question it. it. But is, is what's your sister's last name? Did she change her last name? She did not change her last name. Oh. So, so they decided Wadman, and so it's Bertram William Wadman, which is interesting because it's almost, you know, it's BW like me. Well, it's, uh, and it's like naming it kind of after you and also kind of after your dad, right? Yeah, sort Cause of, yeah. Because you're named after your dad, right? Exactly. I was a junior, so it's like a little bit of that. Oh, you're and, a junior? Yeah, yeah. William George Wadman Jr. I didn't know that. And what's interesting about it, though, is that... Uh, it's kind of like there were four of us, then my father died, and there were three of us. Mm-hmm. And now that Bert's born, it's kind of like there's four of us again. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Math, dude. It's like, I know, I know, I know. But like, even just in a, a general sense, it's like the, the clan, I know this is really basic stuff, but the clan yeah. got one bigger. You know? No, it's, that's how it works, man. Yeah. And ideally, you're supposed to kind of stay ahead of that curve. You know, that's, that's the way yeah. nature, nature likes to... Roll. It was just, uh, yeah, and so she ended up having it by C-section and a big mm. nine-and-a-half-pound baby. It's cute. Yeah, crazy. Adorable. Um, so, you know, in celebration of a new beginning, we're going to talk about our beginnings. There you go. That's a cute way to put it. Nice segue, right? Yeah, very very professional. Uh, and, you know, look, you and I are both photographers. We yep. both have take pictures and have shitloads of gear. Yep. Uh, so... You know, we talk about all this heavy stuff the past few weeks, so I think we're going to lighten it up yep. and talk about our first cameras. Yep. My then, first camera. Yeah. Uh, would you like to start? Sure. Um, although we should be a little bit more specific. How, I mean, how tech- far back are we going? Yeah, because I Well, I what can, was the first camera you played with? Well, I can remember my very first photographic experience as a, as a kid. I, I want to say, like, like uh, kindergarten, maybe, or maybe not kindergarten, but really, you know, grade school, easily. Yeah. Um, and I want to say it was one of those little Kodak, I don't know, Instamatic. What? The, all I remember are those awesome little square cube flash thingies sure. that yeah. you'd get four pops out of each one. Now, what, here's the question: Was was the film? Uh, it was like the. It was either one ten or two ten. Yeah, it was a cartridge. About? It was a cartridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then I okay, and then I remember. Now it's all coming back to me. That was my first one, and I remember that being like this weird little plasticky, junky thing. And I, I don't think any of the pictures that I shot with that survived. Um, and then I think my mom bought like for the family one of those Kodak Ektar ectographic or whatever which was like that really skinny one i you know i would say it, it's like we're not it, talking about disc film are no we? no it, it, it would, i would say the form factor is, is along the lines of a giant television remote control i mean it's like you know it was like maybe an inch and change tall another two and two and change wide and then maybe eight inches you know deep i guess 
Uh, and then that used that 210, I think it was either the 110 or 210 cartridge-based yeah. film as oh, well. The, the 110, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and the it, one, it, 126 it had a, was the other weird one. Yeah, yeah. And, and it had a built-in built in flash, and I remember it, it took, uh, I think, a single AA battery for the flash. And I think that was my first memory of the, the, the you know, the, the, the you know obvious, the quintessential uh, strobe power cycle sound. You know, the, the, sure. like, the whiny, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the little whiny sound. Yeah, that sure. was the first camera that I had that, that actually did that. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was cool. Um, then I forgot about those cube flashes. Those things are, yeah, are right? really weird. My grandparents just, used to have one. Yeah. And I loved like taking it and like looking. If you, if you like held that shit under a magnifying glass, they had the, oh, it was trippy. The, the coolest little like explosion really residue. Yeah, it was like this weird mystical yeah. ke- chemical reaction that happened inside this little vial, this little glass, you know, encapsule or whatever. Um, so then, then let's see. Then. There was definitely a Kodak disc in the family. Ours was a goldish, bronzish color. Now, this if you was... think about that from the point of view of what you're saying now, oh yeah, no, 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 it totally was sort of. Yeah, there was a bronzish kind of look to the like yeah. a gold, like a gold uh, trim. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it had like a weird brushed, brushed aluminum. Like, do you know you how know, small the actual film size was on a Kodak disc like camera? Fucking pinky, pinky nail, like the size of your pinky nail. Look at your pinky now. Look at your pinky nail, and that's the size of the fucking neck. Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. Like teeny. It's teeny. Um, and, and it only had, what, take pictures 15 or 13 shots? It was like a Viewmaster, but way yeah. smaller. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had that. I want to say that was around the, like, 85, 86-ish. Yeah. And the reason I remember... Oh, here's why I remember this. You might get a kick Appar- out of this. Oh, just hold on a second. It was less than 40% of the area of the already small 210 film. You're cheating. The negative was 8 by 10.5 millimeters. <laughs> it was less than a... It was a centimeter by a centimeter, essentially. Amazing, and people took pictures with this. Sorry, go it, ahead. Yeah, dude, it, it was a great little dude. The cam- that was like the first super small pocket-sized consumer camera. I mean, I think Kodak had I a hit on their hands with just, that. It just do you remember? The, I remember the ads. Man, I'm gonna get you with the Kodak disc. Blah 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 blah, and I ain't gonna <laughs> miss some shit like that. I mean, it had a song and everything. Um, <laughs> but I remember the timing on that one because Washington School, which is where I went to elementary school. Uh, when I was at, at the end, of, I was in fifth or sixth grade, and one of the janitors, when he was repotting some plants out in the front of the building, uh, uncovered a time capsule that the class of like 1950 or something uh, had, had buried. And that got Weird. everybody all up into a big, you know, a big hullabaloo. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. And we, you know, we, we tracked down some of the, the graduates, and they were still alive, and it was cool. And then I guess in, in, in sort of in follow-up form, we decided that we were going to make our own time capsule. Right. And so, so the camera and or film that we put in our time capsule was a Kodak disc. I remember. That is really funny. Crazy, right? Uh, moving forward, I also remember the next serious camera that I got was – I still have it, dude. It's in the other room. Um, oh, I should go get it. I got it from my it? bar mitzvah. It's a, it's a Canon – it was a Canon waterproof – point and shoot that used 35 millimeter film and had all these awesome yeah it had all these awesome accessories and you had to like change the o-rings on it and it had like a flash and this like awesome little floating little film canister thing so you could put it on the strap so you can have film when you're out at sea or whatever (laughs) because you're you're gonna be changing film (laughs) underwater in the water right that makes sense um you know and it had like a little fanny pack that all the accessories came in and like a sports finder so that you could frame your pictures without you know holding the camera up to your it was really cool 
Um, and I remember really loving that thing and taking a ton of stupid pictures under underwater at friends' pools and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, how, what, how old were you then? This was Bar Mitzvah. So this was around 13, 1987. Okay, right, of course, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and then I kind of took a hiatus from photography um, as I got into music at that point. And then right around age 15, I want to say for my 15th birthday, my dad bought me a Nikon FM2. Which was their classic camera? The, yeah, at the time, uh, in in sort of Nikon history, um, that was a that was like the, the only fully a hundred percent manual um, camera that Nikon made. Uh, you, you know, if the, it didn't need a, the only thing the battery did was the light meter, and and even then you didn't you didn't need that. So you can you could always. I remember that my dad used to always make a big deal about that. I think that was a big deal for the old timers. Is like. Oh, I can't have one of those electronic shutters because what if you're out in the field and the battery dies? Then what are you yeah. gonna do? They made that um, camera for like 15 years. Yeah, dude, it it it's it was awesome. I mean, and I, I it's still in the family. I don't have it on me right now. I think it's at my dad's place. But um, the reason why I got that, um, and I know I'm taking a long time here, but this is this is the history. Uh, my dad um, is responsible for my <coughs> interest in photography. He was in the Coast Guard. In the '60s, during the uh, during the late '60s, I guess right around the time of the Vietnam War, he had the choice. He kind of saw the wave kind of coming, and I guess he decided rather than being drafted, he would he would join up. Um, and so, since he already had a history in the Merchant Marines uh, when he was a college kid, that he, he he was a Merchant Marine and worked worked for them, uh, and knew a thing or two about ships and liked you know navigation and whatnot, he joined the Coast Guard. And was stationed in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And since he went to college, he was an officer kind of going right in. He was, he wasn't, uh, he didn't have to go to like the academy or anything like that. And I guess officers have more responsibilities than enlisted guys. Right. And um, one of his responsibilities while he was there was uh, running the PX, which is the, uh, you know, the military store. The store, exactly. And, And I think through this weird kind of cascading combination of, of government discounts and the fact that they were in the middle of, you know, the ocean as opposed to in the mainland, he was able to get his hands on uh, all kinds of stuff for super cheap. And on that list of things that he could get was, was Nikon camera gear. Um, the, the, the base actually also had a newspaper uh, and a darkroom where he could actually, you know, print and process film. So in the, in the three, two or three years that he was stationed down there, he, built up a really kick-ass kit of, of all kinds of Nikon gear. This was in 19, between 1966 and 1969, I want to say. Maybe maybe earlier, maybe even like right. 64 and 67. So were those SLRs or were those the Nikon yeah, rangefinders? No. So he those had a Nikon, the first SLRs. Exactly. He had an original Nikon F, which he then upgraded to the Photomic uh, finder, which was the crazy, cl- you know, giant, like, little prism with a meter yeah, built yeah, yeah, into yeah. it that weighed as much as a camera on its own, practically. Um, and then he got a whole shitload of lenses. He had a 28, a 35, a 50, the 55 macro, the 105, and the 200, I want to say. Um, 
uh, didn't have any zooms back then. And then he had the old school like leather Nikon branded bag that had sure. all the little pockets for everything. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he had all of these insane accessories like ex- extension tubes, fucking bellows with the rails and filters and hoods and yeah. polarizing. And it was all like Nikon branded. And I don't know if you remember if, ever, if you've ever seen any of this. Nikon did a really great job with their packaging and their design. Um, the Nikon old school Nikon stuff with these like they had these like blue boxes with all these little just the the, the the Nikon F and that you know that nice fat serif F sort of yeah. repeated all over the place and then they upgraded to the gold boxes um, and he had all this stuff and it was all in pretty good shape um, until our basement flooded one year and then most of it the boxing the boxes got kind of disgusting uh, we lost some stuff anyway but anyway he had this existing investment in Nikon gear. Um, which so he really bought cool. you uh, an F2. So, so naturally, um, his stuff would be backwards compatible with my with my with my stuff. Uh, we also, my mother. He also, I think, as as an engagement present, I want to say, he purchased my mother one of the uh, later model Niker Mat cameras, sure, which was sort of like their prosumer line for this from the 70s. Now, was your early. mom excited about that, or did she see at the it time? Like, hey, no, they, they, sweetie, no, they, I bought you an Xbox for. Valentine's no, no, no. Day. It was it was a good gift, man. I think they, they did a lot of shooting together. In fact, one of these days, I'm going to have to go through. My, my father probably has two or three dozen carousels, you know, old school Kodak carousels full of. Ne- my dad was a, a, almost a diehard ectochrome Kodachrome guy. He almost shot Kodachrome exclusively. So almost all of his stuff was transparencies. Um, and, we, and, you know, we have at least two or three dozen carousels and another two or three dozen boxes, not maybe not a dozen, like two or three giant like file folder type boxes yeah. full of those little, those little mail away, you know, 36 pack of slides, you know, from his yeah, adventures abroad. I know. There's got to be some, some great looking stuff. I mean, they, they, and they travel all over the place, like China, yeah. Japan, South Africa, Rhodesia, um, Alaska, uh, all over the place. So yeah, right, they, so they, he, they used so to he, photograph together. So he bought you an FM2. Yeah. Did he give you any of his lenses? Yeah, well, no, he he didn't give me any. He, I I think my first lens was actually one of the first fifty millimeter. It was a fifty millimeter one point eight, but it was the first gen autofocus version of that because it was okay. the cheapest. <laughs> you know, because like we knew that we were. You know, he didn't actually own a fifty at the time. Yeah. Um, because I think he preferred to shoot with the thirty five, but he wanted to keep it. You know keep it classic with with me so that you know i think the af version of that lens was only like 85 bucks or whatever um and you know the manual version was like 125 or whatever um so we opted for that and i think that that lens is still around somewhere too but that was my first combo and then um i slowly but surely matured into getting more lenses from him and uh and uh you know he he would he shot he, he taught me the basic principles of photography on that camera so that's why uh, – that's interesting. And so uh, did you keep that camera all the way up to starting digital? Um, yes and no. Um, my, re- my entry into photography, my, my – you know, my – whatever you want to call it, that my getting the FM2 re- uh, reignited my dad's interest in photography. So once I had mine, as much as he loved his original F, uh, there had been some – considerable improvements in the technology so my dad eventually started to keep you know started to buy some new gear for himself so he replaced his f with an f3 which was the current f of the of the time which was then replaced by an f4 
Um, and so my dad actually started to move into autofocus world. I think it's because his, his eyes weren't as good as they were, you know, when he was younger. Um, and so they he still bought make F- the F6 or whatever the last generation yeah. was. They yeah, still make can, them? You can buy it. You can buy the F5 too, actually. The F4 was the first that started looking more plasticky, no? Uh, the F4 was the first to abandon. It was the first couple things. So it was the first of all, it was the first autofocus uh, F. Yeah. First and foremost. It also was the first to lose the crazy F proprietary over the film winder hot shoe mount. Okay. They, they, they finally decided to put a standard, like, you know, on the prism hot shoe yeah. mount. Um, so that was the first F that did that. Uh, it was the first F that didn't have a film advance lever. Uh, it had a, it had a bi- integrated motor winder. You couldn't take the motor out, um, whereas all of the other ones, you know, were you, you could easily add a motor drive to them, but they, you know, that was an option, whereas the F was... You know, let me just say one thing about the motor drive thing. Yeah. I don't get it. You're not a sports shooter. Exactly. That's Other it. than sports shooters, I don't think anyone ever really needs one. That's it. It was made for sports. Yeah, I guess you're right. I just like it. Just kind of bothers me when normal like there's a scene in uh, what's the movie where Natalie Portman and, and is getting a picture taken by uh, 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 Julie. Um, I mean, who's the hot girl from Ocean's Eleven? Oh, you're, you're Julia not, you're Roberts. Talk, you're talking about Julia Roberts. I don't think yes. she's that hot. I think okay. she has her mouth is too big. She, her her lips are weird, right? Yeah, but Julia Roberts is taking pictures of Natalie Portman in fucking I forget the movie. Anyway, well, why don't remember. you go cheat on your IMDb and look it up, dude? Good point. Anyway, there's a scene where she's like, "Oh, let me go over here and take your picture." And so she uh-huh. goes over by the window. She's taking her picture with like a Leica M, a Leica M with a with a an M6, I think it is, with with a winder on it. You know, and I'm like. Yeah, you need it's sort that. of defeating the purpose of you know. Oh, and then later in the show, they show later in the movie there is prints, light box prints of the picture she took of Natalie Portman, eight by eight foot light box things that she took. It's like it's so absurd, and they're square. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, obviously that picture was not taken on that camera. You know, <laughs> obviously to you, a photographer. God, I'm such a nerd. Yes, you are. Anyway, so uh, Winder, yeah, okay, so. So he got reignited with the thing, and yeah. So he basically he got the F four, and then he bought uh, the first gen eighty to two hundred two eight, which I still have and use to this day. Fucking love that thing. Um, he bought an SB twenty four, which was one of the very first smart TTL autofocus compatible lenses. Um, he even got the data back, the MF twenty three data back, which which was really slick because that allowed you to do all kinds of really neat like bracketing and timed exposures, and it also had the ability to actually imprint. It had the you know how like cameras of those of that day were, were had those cute little um, LEDs on the inside of the yeah, film on sure. the inside of the thing that could actually imprint the date and time and crap. This had that, but it would it would actually imprint the in between frames right, right, on the right. neg, so that you know for for professionals. So it's like, oh, I can see what I shot, but it's it's not funny. All all of these frame. things that we now take so for granted with our new digital bodies. <laughs> exactly, it's insane. You know. Um. So um. So yeah, he he basically um. You know, he he sort of followed me along. You know, along camera wise, I, I still stuck with the with the FM two and. When I left for college, I actually, I think I took the F4 with me, and I left the FM2 behind. Bum, bum, bum. Um, sorry, someone's bugging me here. 
Damn bugging you people. Uh, yeah, I should have logged out of iChat. Um, <laughs> and I can't type. Um, uh, so, yeah, sorry. Um, so that's um, that's my first, you know, what it, we'll call it, first, uh, first round of, sure. of camera stuff. Yeah, well, I think we'll leave the digital for another day. Okay, so what about you? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that your father was this big Nikon user because my father was a Canon user, which, you know, <laughs> probably informs both of our choices to this day. Right. Um, it, my father had a Canon AE-1. Oh, classic. Which, yeah, first right. The first of the auto-exposing Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, my father had a Canon AE-1 and a bunch, of, a, bunch of, you know, a bunch of random glass. A lot of it was like somewhat crappy glass, but it's glass nonetheless. Sure. When I was a little kid, when I was in like middle school, I remember like my father didn't take many pictures. I mean, he did when I was really little because there's baby pictures of me. But in the middle there, it was just a big drawer full of camera gear and the big giant desk in the office of the house. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. And just like your father, extension tubes and filters and all kinds of random stuff that I never thought my father would actually ever use. Right. He had it there. Macro, you know, adapters and all kinds of crazy shit. Uh-huh. So I remember taking it to school one day, like in f- seventh grade or something along those lines. And my father, like, got, he, man, he, like, really yelled at me for taking his camera without asking, you know. Because, I mean, it was just sitting in the drawer. No one was using it. And I don't even right. know if I took good pictures with it. I don't even remember. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid because there are pictures from my eighth grade thing to, to uh, uh, Washington where I took crappy 126 pictures or 110 pictures, you know, or uh-huh. when I was really little. But, you know, playing with my father's did, uh, SLR, it was, you know, I wasn't supposed to be doing it. You know, my father was used to yell at me. Sure. So I didn't take pictures again until, for, in, in any real way, until 2000. Wow. Yeah. And I was at, I was out with my friend, uh, Jeremy Kyman, and, and I said, I want to buy a camera. And he said, you know, in my photography class, wherever he, BU or wherever he went, he said, you know, they made us buy Pentax K1000. K1000s, sure. Those are classic. Right. So that day for lunch, we went down to Adorama, and I bought a $199 K1000 with a 50-millimeter lens. Nice. And, uh, and over lunch, Jeremy told me how F-stops, aperture, and shutter speed works. Nice. So this was probably about 10 years ago. Wow. Really recent. And so I, you know, I, I got some film, took some pictures, whatever it is, and was kind of into it for a couple of years. At which point I upgraded to a Canon Elan 7, which was uh, sort of their prosumer, middle-of-the-road body. You know, autofocus, electric right. winder, you know, the whole, like, you know. But it's funny because, yeah, you pick it up now, and yeah. it feels like this felt high-tech to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, at the time, you know, because, because it has an LED at the top or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a little, you know, a little screen. Um, yeah. And I used that until like 2004 when I got my first digital. Wow. So, so yeah, I haven't been taking pictures that long, you know? Well, I guess when I made it, my, my story was longer than yours. So it sounds like I was taking pictures for a long time, Yeah. but I, I had a huge hiatus, man. Um, so I, I took, you know, I, I went to art school, I went to the school of the art Institute of Chicago, right. uh, from 1992 to 1996 and Although photography was a pretty reasonably, reasonably large component of my portfolio, 
that got me into school. Uh, I, I didn't have any real designs on studying photography at the school. Well, I was, I, I, I had this idea in my head that I wanted to be an art director. You know, I thought I wanted to work at an ad agency making ads and, you know, producing stuff, making stuff. Selling shit to people who don't want it. Well, I didn't even care about that at that point. <laughs> I just, I just knew that that's where the money was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so that's where I was sort of headed. And what wound up happening was, uh, you know, so I sort of dutifully enrolled into the visual communications department or viscom as it was called and quickly discovered that they were a little bit behind the curve, um, in that they weren't teaching as many computer specific design courses as I had hoped. Well, of course not. Well, not of course not because I mean, it it was in that weird period in the, in the early early nineties. Right. And some places were a little bit further along than others, but it's amazing how just a couple of years can make a, this huge difference. Massive. Um, yeah. One of the one of the other little details about me is uh, again thanks thanks to a connection through my father, I was able to get um, a really amazing head start uh, in the world of advertising uh, as a high school kid. Um, as I can remember this, my junior year of of high school, I got an internship um, at BBDO. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the bigger ad agencies, you know, it was easily one of the, you know, 10 biggest in New York City uh, right. at the time. I don't know how big they are anymore, They're but big. that was huge. It was pretty damn huge. And for whatever reason, just kind of weird, weird kind of combination of circumstances, that was the period of time when uh, Apple was not run by Steve Jobs and Apple's advertising agency was BBDO. It wasn't Chiat Day like it is now right. and like it was back in the day. So through some sort of a you know, a deal, um, uh, every open desk and cubicle at BBDO was fitted with a, a top end Macintosh, which just packed to the gills with software. And, and they had like the scanners and the laser printers and all that other crap just sitting there just to sort of encourage the art directors to use them. Right. And, you know, here I am, this high school kid, I'm like the fourth person, uh, helping out on a two-person job, basically. You know, the, the paste-up bench at the time wasn't terribly busy, and it wasn't a terribly hard job. And most of the time, there wasn't a, a, a ton of work for anybody to do, let alone four people. Um, so I sort of kept myself busy by by playing on the computer. And because at that point, there were still a lot of these older dudes who didn't care about the computer. They're doing everything old school with markers and, you know, rulers sure. and T-squares and triangles and shit. Um, and so I got a, a, an interesting taste of that, you know, of that world. And so that's what I had in my head as, as far as, you know, as what I was going to learn when I went to school. Right. So imagine my dismay when I got to school. I'm like, oh, man, these guys are doing what all those old dudes were doing at, at the ad age. I yeah. want to do the new shit. Yeah. Um, and so although, after couple- although you, it's, it, you, you realize once you get into the computer stuff that you in some ways still need to learn the old shit. Just, just as using a digital camera to really use all the digital stuff in Photoshop and Lightroom yep. in a real way. You almost have to think about it as the digital analog of analog photography, I find. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and I, I definitely look back now, and there's a small part of me that wishes I'd stuck with the visual communication department because yeah. there, there are you know, some fantastic professors there and really sure. cool programs. And, but it just didn't speak to me at the time, and I, I don't have any regrets. Um, and what I wound up doing was changing tracks at the school, and, and I went to where the computers were, which in this place right. – in this case, was the art and technology department, which is what got me into video and, at the time, multimedia. I don't know if you remember sure. that whole fucking craze. Director. Um, you know, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, and there was some aspects of photography involved, 
but it was nowhere near what I was doing before. And it got to the point where I was like, almost like laughing at people who were using film. I'm like, oh my God, dude, film is so expensive. Film takes so much fucking time. Look at this. I have a, yeah. I have a video camera. I can see what I just did instantaneously on my fucking yep. screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I was just totally seduced and taken by that whole instant gratification thing. Yeah. And it wasn't until, <sighs> shit, the Nikon, you know what? My first uh, digital camera after that was the, uh, the Nikon D70, which I, I want to say I got it just after it first came out and like, 2004 2005 2005 yeah ish and i mean though but it's it's funny because you're so your 90s you were still doing visual stuff Uh when you were in school and everything sure where at the same time i was off doing music stuff the whole time and not not doing anything visual right you know it's just funny that like in the same amount we both sort of left photography but we went in sort of opposite directions right we blew away from it North and south is, you know. Right, but we kind of came around again. Yeah. And it's funny how, like, your little comment there about, you know, looking at the guys with the film and thinking of video. It's funny how, do you ever think about the the opinions you have now and think, wait, maybe I'm way off base? You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you think back now and you go, okay, well, obviously the quality of the video that I was shooting in 1993 was probably pretty crappy. (laughs) <laughs> still you don't uh, know what i'm saying like you know where would you would you have the same view of it to the people who were shooting film at the time or do you have you sort of come around and go okay well there was something to that i was just too young and arrogant to notice uh does that make sense i think so uh well i'm not sure what you're asking me you're asking me if I, do, am, do you I having... feel the same way do you think that some of your opinions now would fall the same way in five years you know, oh where you'll look no, back no, and no. Go, no no oh man 2010 i was so arrogant about whatever well no no i think i think for me anyway um what i can say is that bear in mind back back in school i was a teenager dude i was 19 you know right. i was 20 years old and i mean i i don't i don't think i've met a single you know college student who doesn't know doesn't think they know everything and you know has doesn't have the capacity to to consider the future you know because right. you, you haven't been alive long enough you know uh yeah. it wasn't until i was like 27 or 28 um and i had one of my earlier recollect realizations that oh my god my my point of view on this has seriously changed since the last time i thought about this yeah. that kind of opened my eyes to it and i'm like oh okay you know what so i should pretty much from now on i should sort of go through you know my routine here my life Understanding that in, in, in anywhere between five and ten years from now, I'm going to be a different person than I was now, yes. than I am now. And that, that, yeah. that, I didn't learn that lesson until, you know, like I say, when I was like in my late 20s. So, so now I'm like, you know, now that I know that, it's like I know that whatever I say or however I feel about any given thing now is totally subject to change within the next five to ten years. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Same thing? You know, it's funny. I mean, over the course of me... You know, I I switched to digital, which we'll get into some other time. But, you know, I've since bought. I I remember getting in a conversation with a girl. I went on a few dates with this girl who was a photographer, assisted a lot of fancy photographers. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, this was 2006, early 2006, late 2005. And uh, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing with photography at the time. I mean, you know, I I, I, I thought I was hot shit, whatever, but I wasn't. <laughs> and I remember she looked at my pictures and she said, you know, you're pretty good for an advanced amateur. Ooh. And at the time, 
I yeah, at the time that's the sound I made, right? Mm-hmm. But now looking at it, not that her pictures were any better, but now looking at it, I think she may have been right. You know, <laughs> sure. But but at the time, it really pissed me off. Like you know, ask ask my family and friends who at the time I was I remember I was fuming about this. And, <laughs> but anyway, she she went and did a, she was assisting on a shoot for something for Wired, uh-huh. and the guy was shooting sort of these portraits large format. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, film, like how large format? Like eight by eight by ten? No, I think four by five. Uh huh. And I remember thinking, I remember having a discussion with her, saying, "Okay, well, I don't understand though. What's what is the point of using a four by five large format when you're shooting for a letter size magazine? You know, right? You know. Now, of course, now I have thirty five millimeter cameras, I have medium format cameras, I have large format cameras, and I shoot four by five at times. And so wait, I realize that there's a very different look to it. So so tell tell uh tell me, Bill, tell tell yes. tell our users, tell our listeners here, our audience, yeah. who might not be as as photographically savvy as what you the differences of all these things are? Why yeah, man, why why would you want to shoot uh, a person for Wired magazine on a four on a by large format four by five camera? Well, you know, the thing is, is that the size of the film or the size of the sensor and digital cameras, I mean, have a lot to do with how it looks. What do you mean now, how it looks? How the actual image looks. And there's there's multiple reasons for this. Uh-huh. One, most of it's all optical science stuff, right? So, sure. you know, it all comes down to how much work. Some people say that uh, large format looks better because the lenses have to do less work. Because I'm taking a picture of you and I'm shrinking it down to the size of a postcard versus the size of a postage stamp, then, you know, the, the lens is doing less work, therefore more detail is retained, you know, that, that, that it's crisper and that kind of stuff, you know. Sure. Simple, even, is, even, simple is cleaner. Right, exactly. Even, even if you're not scanning at that high res or printing it that big, that there's a, there's a change to the way it looks, you know. Sure. I mean, the other, the other big thing is that the, the depth of field in relation to aperture is very different. So where on my 35 millimeter camera with an f1.2 lens, which is super fast, you know, Canon L glass, right? That all the way wide open, I'm focused on your eyeball and your eyelashes are out of focus, right? Yeah, because the that's depth it. of field is so right. shallow. That's at f1.2. Right. On a large format 4x5, I'll shoot at 5.6 and I'll have the same depth of field. Right. You know, and that has to do with how large the actual image gets projected onto the film and all the rest of it. So there is a look to different formats of film. You know, there is a look to different fo- camera formats, to how much it reduces it to, 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 you know, how the lenses work, to, you know, how the lenses are coded, all these kinds of things, which is why people sure. choose Canon over Nikon or people love Hasselblad lenses because of this T-Star coding that, that, that Zeiss puts on their lenses and all this kind of stuff. So sure. It's funny that like now I've sort of come around to thinking of these things as almost cooking with different sets of pans because they cook differently. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of thing. It's like, oh, I, I, you know, I want to use a copper pan to cook this because it changes the way the heat gets trans, you know, transferred, that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. And so it's just really funny that now I look back on it and I think, wow, I was kind of an ass to be talking like that. You know, well, like, yeah, I mean, that's, I was a that's, kid. I don't know any better. You know, this is how people change. You know, I think I think that's actually something that's that's I don't want to say it's uh, important, but I, I can tell you this. Having been a relatively well-informed, self-taught 
uh, you know, maybe that's wrong. What's of, wrong with of, both of us of, is that we're both self-taught photographers. Well, yeah, well, self-taught, and also we we've also been encouraged enough. Like people have told us that our shit looks good, you yeah. know. So it's not like you know, it's one thing to be all confident and like you know believe that your stuff looks good, whether or not anyone ever tells you or not. But it's another thing if you you figure out how to do something, you do it a, a bunch of times, and then someone sort of takes takes the time to say, "Hey, man." That looks pretty cool or, or asks you about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that, that you know, we, like you and I have, have that in common as far as uh, our personalities are concerned. But I think it's also safe to say that when, you know, you and I were both younger, even though we didn't know each other, we, we were both probably victim or, or guilty, I should say, of that same exact behavior where, you, you know, when you're younger... And, you know, you figured out that, oh, I can teach myself this shit, man. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm hot shit. You know, you, right. you, get, you get that sort of confidence thing going. Um, and then as you, hopefully, as you mature and, and gain more experience, you realize that, oh, well, maybe there's more to it than I originally thought. <laughs> yes. However, I, I understand what you're saying and I agree with you. But I think that the other, the other side of that are the people who don't get it intuitively, go to school for it, learn what knobs to turn and what things to push, but don't really understand why. Yeah. And act as if they know better than you do. You know what I mean? So there, I, so I do. there are people out there who, you know, are are great photographers and get it, quote unquote, for lack of a better word. Yep. But then there are people out there who, I don't know, they they went to some fancy school, you know, whatever it is. They went to Parsons for photography, and they took all these le- you know courses, and yet they really don't even understand how to use a camera. I've met a lot of those too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, yeah. So and, I, th- I think, I think that you're, you're right that w- people like us can sometimes be arrogant, but at the same time, I'd take one of us over one of the book learned people who don't really get it any day, you know? No, of course. I, and I, I, me too. Um, and I think, so I, in, in a lot of times you get, you get in, I, I get in philosophical battles sometimes with, with those kinds of photographers more than I do the guys who really know their shit, you know? Yeah, I, I would say I'm in the same boat. Um, yeah. I, I I tend to prefer talking. I would rather talk to you know. Well, yeah, I think we're talking about the same thing. I, I mean, I, I would I would much rather talk to someone not a photographer. You know, I'd rather yeah. talk to another person like us who has taught themselves everything about fucking sailing or or combustion engines or whatever. Yeah. Versus another you know quote unquote photographer who went to school and knows all the words but doesn't doesn't you know can't yeah. explain it to you. Because that's, I mean, to me, the figuring it out is the fun part. Me too, dude. I you mean, know. we, yeah, we, we've, we, you and I have had chats about this uh, offline, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, man, what, where, I, where I'm at now, and, 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 and it, this is, you know, looking back, um, a sort of, you know, continuing repeating theme for me is I, I like, I like making stuff, man. I, I, I have always, I mean, that's how I got into the whole IT business was I, I got into the process. I found that I was getting more of a kick out of helping the people who made the stuff make the stuff than actually making the stuff, if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, I, I just, I just love the, I love the tools. I love the process. I love the workflow. Um, I, you know, not, that's not to say I don't like making my own stuff, yeah. but, but I'm just, my, my comfort zone is, is, is more in the, in the, uh, yeah, I guess in the helping or in the production, yeah. in the in the in the planning, I and mean, in, in the figuring it out process. You know, I'm I'm very much like you, but on top of that, I have maybe to, to to a fault. I have too much of an ego not to try to use it to make something. 
You know mm. what I mean? No, like, I, I, I need that end product of, oh, I learned all this stuff, and then I did this, and here it is on a silver platter. You know what I mean? And then but with your name on the top. Yes. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm the same. I love being able to say I did that, but I, I personally, I, I, got, I get more of a kick out of being on a team. Um, yeah. I, I've always sort of felt uh, like I'm a, I'm a really good uh, first mate, you know, yeah. or uh, whatever. The problem you want to call I have it. is that, like, I, I like having people help me, and I don't mind helping people. But there's right. plenty of times when I feel like, you know, when I get really into it with somebody. Let's say I was working with you and you were just some photographer, not you, just some photographer, and I was assisting you or teching you or whatever, you know, right. I'm doing. At the point at which I felt like I knew more than you do, that would frustrate the hell out of me that I wasn't running the thing. You know what right. I'm saying? I was no, like, I wait, it. why am I the number two when I know more than this dick does? Exactly. And see, for me, I, I actually, I don't want to say I prefer that role, but I'm very comfortable there. I, I, I yeah. dig that, you know, not being that guy who has to call all the shots and who's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, yeah. I, I, there's something, there's something really, um, whatever you want to call it. Like, I guess if you want to put it in the ego, egotistical context, the, uh, it's funny. I was having a conversation just like this with my friend Seth the other day. Um, and he, he's more like you. He's, he's definitely a very creative, um, uh, thinker. And he, he comes up with tons of really cool ideas and, and will admit he's the first guy to tell you, dude, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I just, I just put yeah. these things together and I know that when I do this, this happens and I just go from there and, and hope that, hope that it all works out. And I'm a cross between you and your friend, Seth. Yeah, you kind of are. And so, so <laughs> Seth's like, you know, he loves working with me because he knows that I know more about how all the little bits and pieces work and and because I can sort of speak that the language, since he, he can explain to me, ow, something just <laughs> fell on my foot. Ah, that was awesome. Um, because you can he can, to him. yeah, because he can explain to me what he's going for uh, in the creative language, uh, and I, I I can understand that. I can help him make that, and and I get a kick out of knowing that he couldn't have done that thing, that cool crazy idea that he made without. Without me figuring it out for him. Now, did, did you feel that way when we were working on Drabbles? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just wondering. <laughs> no, you you were calling the shots on that one, dude. All right. All right. I just... Why did, <laughs> do you think I did, did? I have that much of an impact on it? I didn't. No, think no, I did. I, I did no, <laughs> you were you were invaluable, certainly. But I just, I just, I just no, think that. I mean, as an assistant. Yeah. I just, I was just kind of no, funny. No, but that particular project was was interesting, and that that was our first exposure to one another, and we didn't really know. It's true, you know. I didn't know how much you knew or where you were from or any of that, and vice versa. So it wasn't really the kind of wasn't really appropriate for that. Whereas Seth and I have known each other for years, yeah. and you know that that barrier had long been crossed. So yeah. you know he he knew he could basically say, "Hey, dude, what do you think I should do here?" <laughs> and I yeah. could tell him, and and you know neither one of us would would get all weird about it. All right. Well, here let's 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 turn it around here as we wrap up and say. Okay. Let's say. Oh, here's well, here's a good way to do it. Uh huh. I have a new nephew, Bert. Sure. Let's say Bert gets to be eight years old and wants to start getting interested in photography. Uh huh. Do Do you give him a ma- old manual camera? <laughs> you know. Hmm. Um. Or do you buy him the latest digital Rebel or whatever that's out? I would probably years. split the difference. I would, pr- I, I mean, honestly, man, I look back at my, my D70 
which was, I guess, you know, one of Nikon's sort of is really their their first successful foray into consumer grade D- DSLRs. I, I guess yes. the Rebel would be like that too on the Canon side. Although I feel like the Rebel's just a, one step below that as far as quality is concerned. Um, uh, well, the Rebel was a lot cheaper. Yeah, I guess. And, I, but, and then the D70 also came out first. Wasn't it earlier? Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, anyway. It's really the, funny. I, I, I look through pictures in t- early 2004, June of 2004, my father and I went on a trip around the western United States. Uh-huh. You ever read Zen and the Order of Motorcycle Maintenance? Yeah, once. Right. Well, my fa- exactly. I love that part. Uh, my father and I, I gave him that book to read. And he and I went on a drive from Minneapolis all the way out to the point north of San Francisco where the book ends along the route that they took. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then we drove down through San Francisco, Yosemite, Death Valley, Vegas, Grand Canyon, like Arches, Canyonland, all the way over to How long was this trip, dude? Two weeks. We went all the way from Minneapolis all the way out and then all the way around in two weeks. Cool. Uh, but the point is, is that I, sh- I was shooting with a digital rebel at the time. So I have all these six megapixel raw files. <laughs> at least you're shooting raw, dude. <laughs> I know that's true. But, uh, it's really funny that, you know, I, I open them now on my 30 inch screen and they almost fit on my 30 inch screen at hundred percent. You know, that's, that's, well, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Um, but it's just really funny that you can actually, st- and you know what? Good example of why raw, raw is, is better awesome. because you know what? They look better the now techno- with the new raw converters than they used to. Absolutely, the tech. Yeah, it's like it's like the same thing as you can make the comparison to a, a negative. I, I I just I gave a, a photographer uh, at work today. I gave him a tutorial uh, on using Capture One because he's borrowing a computer with us uh, of ours for this yeah. personal shoot that he's doing, and he didn't know the first thing about it. So he's, it's funny. He has a he's borrowing our 5D Mark II. Uh, he's going to be shooting to cards, and then he wants to process them using Capture One. Uh, right. Now, and now if, it, if it was up to me, I would probably steer him more in the direction of Lightroom or Aperture because those are a little bit more user friendly. Right. But because you know of the company I work for and their preferences and what have you, we you know we use what we use. Um, and so it was really awesome for me to sort of show him the power of a RAW file because he was you know he he went it was I was impressed man he went through the entire five D Mark II manual and had all these little questions about like. You know, the, the various, uh, what are they, the picture modes or whatever, sure. like the, you know, so d- what do you think? Should I use this vivid mode and this and that? I'm like, well, I got to be honest with you, dude. It doesn't really matter because you're going to be shooting raw files and all yeah. of that stuff it gets changed on the computer. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, let, let, I will show you. And so, you know, he went yeah, up onto yeah. the roof of the building, shot a, a bunch of photos, and then it was just really cool to show him like, wow, dude, you can recover two and a half stops you know, from yeah. that file and get some, and still have some details that you can use, you know, and, and you can control the white balance. He's like, Oh, you can control the white balance. I'm like, yeah, dude, pretty sweet. Right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it saves it right off the sensor before anything touches it. Yeah. yeah. That's it's the way awesome. you have to, it's uh yeah. And it's funny. So now I go back and I'm looking at all these DNG files cause I converted everything to DNG. Cause you know, it's funny. There's an example. I had the first generation digital rebel. Uh-huh. I don't know how long, Adobe Camera Raw is going to continue to support a five-year-old camera raw. You know, I don't know. It's Maybe true. someday they'll go, eh, you know what? Those things are so old, we're not going to do anymore. So I converted everything to DNG. You're not the first person who's done that. I've had a couple of friends tell me that that was what they did for that same reason, because you never yeah. know. It's, um, uh, 
you know, next time we'll have to talk about our, our digital systems and what we use today. Yeah, uh, but just to finish off the, uh, the, the answer to your question, yeah. um, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't discourage Bert from experimenting with film. Yeah. Because, and in fact, just to, just to harken back, my, first, my, my dad had a really clever approach when he introduced me to photography. He knew that printing negative film-based photography was a pain in the ass. You need right. a fucking darkroom to do that. Yep. He also knew that transparency was super easy because you can do that with a changing bag and a sink and a thermometer. I mean, there's yes. not much to it. However, he also knew that starting off with black and white is much better than starting out in color because there's like one whole less thing to worry about. You know, all you, you know, with black and white, you can really just focus on composition and exposure and not have to worry about color timing and balance and all that other random crap. Um, so at the time, my first film was one of Kodak's old classics, a, a film that they don't make anymore called Panatomic X, okay. which was rated at ISO 32, uh, if I remember correctly. It was it, almost you know, as you know, slow as Polaroid 55. It's insane. Uh, you know, remember how Kodak's film used to come in yellow boxes with colored, multicolored bands? I do. You know, like my, extra, ec- my father used you know. to own a, a photo finishing store for a while, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Hilarious. So, you know, the, you know Kodachrome sure. was red. Ektachrome was blue. Yep, yep. Uh, Tri-X was green. Uh, Pan-X was beige. It was this ugly-ass orangish-beige color. Um, <laughs> and the cool thing about Panatomic X was it was a high-grain black and white negative film but kodak made a reversal kit for it which meant that you could buy an, a, like an alternate set of chemistry if you shot it at iso 50 i think right. or maybe even 100 so you had to push it a couple stops and then you you, you soup it in in this special alternative set of chemistry you could get black and white transparencies which then cool. we could develop in our sink and you know at minimal cost, and right. it was awesome. I mean, and, you know, and then we get, and we had a projector, and then you know, nothing looks cooler to a new photographer than seeing your shit up on a wall, it's nine feet tall. I mean, that's yeah, 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 that's fucking cool. So that's that's how I learned, and I would not discourage that uh, uh, from anyone. I, I think that was a great way for me to, to 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 get a taste of how it worked. I think um, the interesting thing will be to see if film is even available by the time Bert wants a camera. Yeah, yeah, that's the scary thing, man. I mean, I'm sure it will be if, because the motion picture industry. Still, I mean, to this day in Hollywood, they still have to make that shit because nothing – digital looks great, but I've seen A-B comparisons, and, and film is still still just a little bit nicer than digital. Yeah, but you know what? Eight years go- is a long time. It really is. It really is. It's, anyway. uh, it'll be interesting. Absolutely. All right. Next time we'll do digital. Yes. All right. Good evening. See you later, Dan. Bye.